We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome back to the Signs of Reading Week. I am your host and event moderator, Cassandra Wheeler. I serve as the Senior Manager of Letter State Success with Lexia. And we are thrilled, so many of you, 14,000 of you, I promise I'm not making that number up, 14,000 of you are joining us for our very first ever week-long education event devoted to unpacking the science of reading, learning from some of the most respected minds in the national literacy community, and celebrating the brilliant, dedicated work of teachers implementing structured literacy in classrooms all across the country. I will be here each day to kick things off with our star-studded group of presenters. If you joined us yesterday, again, drop a heart or a thumb in the chat, in the, in the emojis, because we had a fireside chat with the Dr. Louisa Motes and Lexia's Chief Learning Officer, Dr. Liz Brooke. That discussion was so yummy. But wait, there's more. Today, we're hosting an Ask Me Anything Q&A session with Donna Heitmanick, reading advocate and founder of the Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College Facebook group. <laughs> Donna Heitmanick, which is just fun to say, uh, retired after 41 years of teaching special education and serving as a reading specialist slash interventionist. She served as president of the Literacy Task Force of Northern Wisconsin, was appointed by Governor Scott Walker in 2014 to Wisconsin's Read to Literacy Council, served as the legislative chair of the International Dyslexia Association, and served on the Legislative Council Study Committee on the Identification and Management of Dyslexia in 2018, resulting in Wisconsin's first Dyslexia Bill, Act 86, signed into legislation in 2019. Donna was awarded the Herb Cole Teacher Fellowship Award in 2016. Now, in her fifth year of retirement, and doesn't sound like retirement because she's still working, <laughs> but that's that's her business. That's okay. Now in her fifth year of retirement, she spends her days creating professional development opportunities for teachers in her Facebook group, Signs of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College, writing legislation, and again, serving as the president of the Literacy Task Force a nonprofit dedication to Wisconsin teaching, Wisconsin teacher training and evidence-based practices. Whew, I'm worn out. <laughs> and you should see uh, a link to her Facebook group somewhere down there in, in, the, in the chat as well. Now, joining Donna is her fellow Facebook group moderator, Jennifer Sear. Jennifer Sear has been a reading specialist for Rochester, New Hampshire schools since 2004. Thanks to her district's longtime focus on the science of reading, Jen has become a teacher leader and an expert in evidence-based practices. She is a letters local facilitator, a national letters professional learning facilitator, and an Orton-Gillingham trained teacher. Through her LLC, Sear Literacy Counseling, excuse me, Literacy Consulting, excuse me, Sear Literacy Consulting, Jen supports schools that are shifting to the SOR 
She also volunteers as a moderator on the Science of Reading, what, should I, what I should have learned in college Facebook group page, and is the administrator of the main Science of Reading page. She is the current secretary of the International Dyslexia Association, Northern New England branch, serving Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And then Jennifer recently earned her CAGS in education from the University of New England. We don't have any slackers in this uh, science of reading week, right? So first of all, just want to say thank you so much to Donna and Jennifer for joining us today. You see all the love coming to you from various places around the country. But before we jump right in, let's see who's joining us today. So besides jumping in and giving us in the chat where you're located, let's answer this first poll of the day. Here's number question number one. In order to answer questions that we're going to provide today in a way that best serves you, can you describe your role? So our participants joining us today, the 1.5 thousand of you, are you a teacher, an administrator? Are you a policymaker? Are you a specialist? Or are you some other role in education? And we'll ask you to respond in the chat. And that thing is flying so fast. Can, are y'all watching that? It is flying so fast. We have people from all walks of life that have some impact on student <laughs> education that are joining us today. So happy to see this. Give you another couple of seconds on the poll as the number of attendees continues to grow. If you're just joining us, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are having a poll right now where we want to know who you are. So if you'll identify your role currently, and if there's an other people are chatting in what that other designation is. And we're so excited to see these various backgrounds and professionals joining us today. All right, let's see the results from poll number one. Who do we have in the house? Okay, now the majority of you, 36% of you are specialists. So we thank you for the work that you're doing on a daily basis. Then 25% of you are teachers and we nod and bow to you for your service <laughs> on a daily basis. Following close behind that is 24% in the other category. And as we're watching this chat fly, they're coming to us with all various backgrounds, special ed teacher, university professors, reading specialists, coaches. Again, we thank you for everything you do and devote to the field of education on a daily basis. And then there are 15% of you that are administrators. And we thank you for the leadership that you serve in your school or district or state, because if you are, as an example, a building administrator, you are the lead teacher in that building. And we thank you for your dedication. Just so you're aware, we really don't have a percentage that makes up our policymakers. There are about three people that said they are a policymaker. It did not give us an increase in their percentage. It's still at zero, but we certainly want to acknowledge the three of you that are policymakers and say thank you also for your time joining us today. All right, so let's close out that first poll and let's get ready for the next poll. So our second poll question that we'd like to pose to you today is based on your role. When you think of literacy instruction in your classroom or in your district, how much change is needed to make sure every student is reading at grade level? Think about it again. When you think about your liter the literacy instruction in your classroom, in your school or your district, how much change is needed 
to make sure that every student is reading at grade level? Do you think there's no change needed? That's A. Or is it B, you think ah, just a little? Is it C, significant changes need to be made? And again, we certainly thank you for your honesty. Is it D, you need a total overhaul? And some places are certainly a D, we, re we recognize that. Or are you more so an E? There's an other, and we ask you to respond in the chat. So go ahead and respond to the poll. And if you would like to also add some further clarity in the chat, we invite you to do that as well. Oh dear, I just saw Jennifer Lopez in the in the meeting. Did y'all see that? <laughs> <laughs> the celebs are joining us today. How about that? <laughs> well, that would be cool. <laughs> so yes, answer poll number two. When you think of literacy instruction in your classroom or your school or your district, how much change is needed to make sure every student is reading at grade level? Is it none, a little, a significant change needs to be made? a total overhaul, or is there some other answer? All right, let's check out the results from this poll. So according to all of our participants that are joining us right now, hmm, the majority of you, 69%, are willing to say that yes, significant changes need to be made. And so that's another reason why we're so thankful that you joined us today, 69%. Significant changes need to be made. Then we kind of go down a little to the next two categories. 16% say just a little change. 14% say a total overhaul. So we're in the middle and we're going, we're radiating from both directions on the spectrum. Um, there are 1% that say other. And so in the chat, that could be a number of things. And many of you are talking about changes that may have happened in your um, leadership level in your district and that sometimes will mitigate when change occurs or not. And then there are three of you that said none. So again, we have a wide range of <coughs> answers for how we expect or anticipate literacy instruction impact for our classroom and our, and our district. Because the goal is to make sure that every student is reading at grade level. Thank you so much. We'll close out that poll and let's transition to our question and answer session. So we'll come back to our um, PowerPoint presentation at the end, just as some reminders. But now we're going to more deeply engage with both Donna and Jennifer for our Q&A session. And so as we do this, we're going to ask some audience sourced questions. But before we do that, I have one. All right, let me do my, get my question out of the way first. All right, so Donna, it is clear you are a bona fide social media sensation. <laughs> so we'd like for you to take just a few minutes and share your own personal journey. Um, what made you want to become a teacher? How did you come to understand the evidence-based reading instruction for yourself? And how are you applying the science of reading in your professional life? Can you talk to us a little bit about your story, sure. Donna? Sure. Thanks, Cassandra. I want to thank Lexi for having me on. And uh, this has been an honor. Uh, so my journey started um, back in 76. And when I graduated, don't laugh, it's a long time ago, I know. Um, and, um, and I was a special ed major, and I always wanted to be a teacher. So I went to college and graduated and did all that good stuff. Um, worked for 41 years in special education. I was a transition specialist. 
um, ended my career as a reading specialist. <laughs> and um, but here's the here's the the thing that was very interesting is that um, in my last seven or eight years of working, I had to go back to school to get a reading specialist certification. And I'm living in Wisconsin at the time, and I and I realized that um, I'm not really learning what I should be learning uh, because back in back in the day, um, in 1988, about 12 years after I had first started uh, teaching, I realized um, I didn't really know a whole lot about how to teach reading, and I went to a training. Um, it was at the time uh, Project Read out of Minnesota did this training. And so I learned about explicit, systematic, structured literacy. And I, it blew my mind. I just didn't even know that it existed. And from then on, I had these tools that I could use to be effective as a teacher. Um, because before it was you know, just, just using a basal reader or um, we used to use uh, language experience stories back in the day. I mean, this is these were the tools I was given and that's all I knew and you did what you were taught. So um, fast forward, and that was 76. So fast forward to um, 88 when I learned that and then fast forward to 2011 when I got this um, a position as a reading specialist or a reading teacher interventionist. And I had to go back to school because I didn't have that certification. So I went back to school and um, had a very terrible experience uh, gaining, trying to get the knowledge of, on the science. And my entire program was basically a reading recovery program. And in fact, um, I was called out and, um, admonished, I guess you would say, I was actually almost asked to leave the program. I was asked to leave the program because I had questioned everything that they were teaching me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't leave the program. I continued and, and got a degree for $7,000 that was basically mm -hmm. worthless. Um, because as we all know, we're, as an interventionist, you are charged with the most difficult on the edge kids that could potentially be into special ed. Um, and so your job is to hopefully make sure that they don't wind up um, getting more intensive services. But if you don't have the tools, you can't possibly do that. Um, so that led me to, um, after I retired, or actually before I retired, I did a lot of volunteer work. And as, as you mentioned, I was president of the Literacy Task Force, and we are, we're an organization that uh, promotes evidence-based practices. And we, we hold summer trainings. And um, at that time, I was tapped to do um, a, um, an event. Well, it was an event for the, the uh, legislation. I'm sorry, I'm having word finding difficulties. Um, and so I served on that committee and uh, realized that my experience about learning what the science of, or lack of learning of what the science of reading was in, in my education served me well because I actually had proof and knowledge that schools in Wisconsin were not providing that. So um, I used that to my advantage. And because we were writing legislation, we had to testify to support it. And um, I 
I've told the story many times, but I'm going to say it once, once more that um, I was testifying in front of the uh, education committee, the Senate education committee. And I, I was so frustrated at that point. I, I said to them, I'm going to write a book one day and it's going to be called the science of reading what I should have learned in college. Well, I never wrote the book, um, but I, I started this Facebook page just really it was just a, a day that I was sitting there and I'm like, well, how do you, how do you do, what's this, what's this group thing? So I figured out what a group was and, and then put it all together. And the group just started growing so fast. Um, it could hardly keep up with it. It was amazing, which told me as an educator that there, there are a whole lot of me's out there that just don't understand what, what we need to do to be the effective teachers. And so as the group grew and became um, more popular, it um, I needed to get some help. I didn't even know you could have moderators. So <laughs> I put out a plea. And so Jennifer joined on early on and has been with us ever since. And so um, that's kind of my story of how my journey of how I became an educator and wound up doing this social media thing, which has kind of been cool. <laughs> it has been cool. And you're getting some love. Let me just call that out. If you are a member uh -huh. of that Facebook group, why don't you give, give Donna and Jennifer some love? Let's see some emojis <laughs> there as we transition. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> I told you. Because, Those are you know, I told Look at that, Donna. Y'all are getting some love. I, you are this. You are, you are such a social media sensation. And what's so neat is that people think it's just Donna Hype Manic with the with their <laughs> with their amazing last name, right? They may not even realize that you've got Jennifer there. So Jennifer, Jennifer Sear, will you talk about your story, how you came into your own personal journey with science of reading, and how you're contributing to this great movement that we're experiencing, as well as the support that you're giving to this amazing Facebook page, uh, Facebook page. So Donna and my story has many parallels, right? I I'm was born in 1973, but I went to college for the first time in the 90s, and I wanted to become a teacher for the same reason many of us want to become teachers. Somebody I love, right? Somebody in my life, in my case. My little brother really struggled with reading and was dyslexic. And I was watching him struggle and really the tools I needed to help him, right? So I went to undergraduate school and I, I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what I needed to be taught. So my college at the time happened to be um, a whole language school. So we learned whole language. And when I said, okay, but when do we teach them how to read the words? I was told, oh, well, if... You know, if you need to do that, the school will just give you the textbook you need in order to teach this. And then I went and taught for a few years and my classroom was beautiful. It was engaging. We did a lot of thematic units, but I wasn't reaching the kids that I really wanted to reach, kids like my brother. So I went to get my master's to become a reading specialist, right? And I would thought for sure now I will get the tools I need to be able to help kids like my brother. But I did not, once again, choose wisely, perhaps, I'm not sure, but the program did not provide me with the information I needed. And so fortunately, you know, thanks be to the powers of the universe, I got a job in Rochester, New Hampshire, where I still work as a reading specialist. And shortly after I was hired, 
we won a reading first grant and I was fortunate enough to receive lots of beautiful teacher training, right? We had, we had Orton Gillingham, we had lips, all of this professional knowledge that I'd been missing all of this time was given to me. After the grant ended, the district invested in all of us reading specialists to receive Orton Gillingham training. So we were not only able to get the knowledge, but to put it into practice in a practicum so that we had lots of coaching, right? All along the way, uh, it really helped me to internalize the skill. And then finally, after almost a decade of being a teacher, I was able to finally say with confidence, I can teach kids how to read. Um, and through my district's continued focus on tier one instruction, right? Evolving with the research and changing things up. I still feel like we're, we're working really hard to sustain it and um, continuing to have some success with that. So I joined Jonna's group uh, after she had been in it for at least six months. And I've been watching, you know, listening to the chat, very interested in everything that was going on. And then she called for more moderators and said, well, I definitely don't have, you know, the, I'm not a researcher, I'm a teacher, but I do have lots of knowledge of programs and I have a good knowledge of the science. So I said, I can help. So I signed up to volunteer and I've been with them ever since. Um, we all do different functions in the moderator group. Mm -hmm. I tend mm -hmm. to screen posts, allow posts through, allow members through. And then when something comes up specific to my knowledge, I'm very confident to answer it. I'm a cheerleader. I tell people to be nice to one another. <laughs> and then I, um, and then I just encourage people to learn. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of learning opportunity on that particular Facebook page. Yeah. Well, your following and your support, I mean, many of your family are right here. So that just speaks a lot. <laughs> Sweet. Um, the impact that that page and the two of you are having. So we also have some questions that we collected via our social media outreach and our partners at EdWeb. So let's kind of dive into some of these questions. And so when you're, I, I see parallels to myself and, and both of you. And one thing that I've always heard is that, you know, you teach how you were taught. Well, I learned to read when I was three. My mother was a stay-at-home military wife. And so I learned to read. So outside of knowing that my mother did that, I really can't tell you exactly what she did, but I knew I was learning. I learned to read by three, went to an inaugural pre-K program when I was four, skipped kindergarten and went right into first grade. So I know that's I know that story. Can both of you think back to when you learned how to read? And do you recall the type of instruction that you received at that time? I do. Yeah, go ahead, Donna, tell your story. I'm a child of the 50s, so I'm a Dick and Jane girl, and and, and Sally, and I don't remember the other character, uh, mm -hmm. which is really, you know, it's a whole word approach. But we also had phonics, and the curriculum, it was called Modern Press, I believe, or Modern Curriculum. It was a plaid book. I remember it clearly. And it went through all of the rules, short vowels and long vowels and vowel teams and di diagraphs. I remember it clearly. And the other thing I remember, and which is probably kind of this weird way of orthographically mapping words, but we had to spell our words with these little tiles that we were given. It was a box of tiles. <laughs> And you had to put it inside a, um, a holder that kept them in a row. So you'd spell all your spelling words um, <laughs> with these little tiles. You had to search for the letter and put it in order. I mean, it was brilliant. And it kept us quiet and busy and in our seats, you know, because 
I was just looking back at my grade school pictures. This is hard to believe, but there were like 43 first graders in one class. Isn't that crazy? It, 43 and it and I it was the same all all through eighth grade. There were like 43, 44, 45 kids in one class. I don't know how they did it. So anyway, that was our that was what we what I how I learned to read. Yeah, my first and second grade books, I was and this was in the 70s, because I'm a I'm I'm like Jennifer's peer. I'm I'm a 72 baby. And our my first readers were the Dick and Jane stories as well. So that that went on. You said that was in the 50s. It was still going on 20 years later. That same level of <laughs> Jennifer, what about you? Do you do you recall how you learned to read? I do. I remember so initially I learned to read by watching Sesame Street and the electric mm, company. I love it. And those programs were they were born in the 70s, right? So that my, I was the oldest of four kids, so I was uh, on the TV a little bit, <laughs> and that helped me out. And then I, I remember my mom would take us to the library every week, and I'd pile up the books, and then I found one that was decodable at the level I was able to read, and I just started reading it, and my mom was blown away. <laughs> she just was like, well, what, where did you learn how to do that? Then when I went to kindergarten, Mrs. Davis, my kindergarten teacher at Roosevelt School in Sanford, Maine, um, she taught us using the letter people. And I don't know if you guys remember the letter people, but each letter person had a name and they had a little story to go with it. Right. So, um, so I remember the letter people and I remember flashcards and she would flash the, the words to us mm -hmm. to see what we had mapped, right. Orthographically mapped into our memory. So I remember doing that and then having lots of time with stories and read aloud, um, but she taught us, she did teach us decoding. She taught us sound symbol correspondence, um, which was not something I was trained to do when I went on to become a teacher. Yeah. See, it's those early me memories like that that I don't really have because I skipped kindergarten because I was there the first two weeks and I was helping the teacher teach the kids. So, I, <laughs> so what, what, the, what the mode of instruction was, I don't recall that, but I do still have my basils from, from first grade and second grade. And then when I think about, wow. you know, my, my career path and um, again, thinking about, man, I, I align with you all in so many different ways. So Donna, when um, with your work with, you know, the classroom going to the state legislature, my journey was a, a little similar. So going from the classroom into the State Department of Education here in Alabama oh. and my, my for my foray was because. At the time, we were a school that was part of what was then the new state reading initiative. And my school was one of the first schools to be a part of that. So I was exposed to science of reading and we had moved into a, a curriculum that was that was designed and built in the 60s by an African-American gentleman out of New York. And that's what turned our first grade around in our building. And so when we started moving into we didn't really, it wasn't called science of reading back then in the in the in the late 90s. I don't know what I'm not really sure when science of reading took hold to where we're you know the SRR that we call it now, even though that research has been out for decades. But right. it was we were on the cusp of it. So I was involved and immersed in that and then joined the department. And so when Jen talked about reading first, I was part of the team at Alabama Department of Education that wrote Alabama's Reading First Grant. And so we had jubilation as well when we were first um, awarded our grant. But when you think about that transition from working in the classroom to working at a, another level of education and, and the fact that even though 
we're all you know out of the classroom we're directly impacting the students that we're serving by the work that we're doing so donna talk about that what's been more impactful for you in your in your career being in the classroom and then working with the state legislature which one of those you say has been more impactful for you well, I can tell you one thing. One's easier. Teaching kids is a whole lot easier than having to deal with um, legislators. Um, and that's hard work. It, it's hard work and it's um, it's politics and it's very frustrating because you you run into barriers all the time and the political games that are being played are, it's just, I I get so frustrated because this is, should not be a political problem, This, but it is. And um, and so, again, being in a classroom is a whole lot easier than being in a, in a state capital. Yeah, the, the, the bureaucracy of all of that and having mm -hmm. to figure out which channels to go down and how to best navigate that space is exactly. extremely but, you know, I think about myself that even the work I do today somehow, some way is impacting and changing a, a child's life trajectory. So at the end of the day, you just have to kind of focus on what the end result is. And you think about how the, it's impacting students everywhere. And so that's sure. not to both of you all for what you're doing. So when we think about um, the questions that we got from our social media page, this one was, was a really good one because I'm pretty sure that you could probably identify this. What is the most popular question or questions that you all get in your Facebook group? And then um, what does that tell you about the reading instruction and the teacher needs from that type of question that you all get on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Jen, I'm going to throw that one to you. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll kick us off, but most frequently we get asked about curriculum. What, how should I spend my money? Um, but, but if you want us to answer a question like that, you need to come to the Facebook page and ask us specifically because mm -hmm. we, you don't have enough time in the world to discuss the thousands of curriculums that are out there. The other question we ask then this one I think is more meaningful to me is people who are just kind of coming onto the Facebook page, just hearing about evidence-based practices, scientifically-based instruction, and want to know where do I begin, right? So um, we love to point people to um, free or inexpensive resources to build their background knowledge, right? I often will recommend uh, the Reading Rockets website as a place to find some articles and ways to have their specific questions answered. And then um, there are a variety of tools out there for teacher training. Um, top 10 tools comes to mind, right, um, is, uh, is, a, is a big one, but the, I would say that's the most common one. What do you think, Donna? Yeah, we, um, we have a lot of people that come and they want to know the latest, the books, what books should I read? So we have, and what's cool about Facebook is that um, it has a, a section called um, guides. And so you can go to the guides because we archive our posts. Yeah. So yes. you can go back and look and say, well, if this question's been covered a million times, we want to make sure that it's archived and be people can get um, can get access to it, so we don't have to repeat ourselves. So that's that's a, a function of the uh, the Facebook group. There's also files there. You can you can find that information. Um, yeah, and lots of times people because we have a diverse. Um, population of uh, members. We have parents, teachers, 
um, <clears throat> researchers, um, politicians, uh, school administrators, um, even uh, college professors, they have all, they're, they're all coming from a different space. And so they, they have different questions. And so that we try to, we try to answer those best we can. I love that. I mean, especially when we all think about if we're current educators and we went through some teacher ed program to get to where mm -hmm. we are. And at some point we realize, man, I don't know all that I need to know to do all that I need to do. How, how do I gain that information? How do I gain that knowledge? And for you to have that page where everybody can just kind of come and learn and grow mm -hmm. together. I think that, that that's that's the reason why you're the social media uh, <laughs> sensation that you all are. Thank so you. So <laughs> kind of in line, in line with that. So Jennifer, when you think about um, how things have changed in the world of literacy, since you've been the moderator, like you, you joined that um, as a need for your own understanding. And then you, when the, when the call was made, you raised your hand and said, yep, I'm happy to be a part and, and support this as a moderator. So what's changed in the world of literacy just in this time that you've been a moderator of this, of this great Facebook page? All right. Well, the, the number of members has grown tremendously. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we started with 60,000 people and now we're over 200,000 and many people are brand new. And so I feel like we have to ask that the yeah. same beginner questions, we have to answer those over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's always kind of this internal battle of, have I been doing reading wrong this whole time? I, I've taught so many kids to read. What do you mean I need to change, right? So I feel like we are always answering questions of that nature. Lately, we've had a lot of uh, ongoing discussion, and I won't call it debate, it's discussion about um, linguistic approaches, right? Speech to print approaches versus um, print to speech approaches. And um, we've also kind of talked about the role of phonological awareness a lot in the past couple of years and about how... This is a skill that links to every element of our language, right? We need to include it. However, we need to include it in the right amount and at the right time in the child's education and not belabor it. We need to move kids into print as quickly as possible. And so I feel like these are topics that we talk about all the time. Those are, I would say those are the hot topics. What do you think, Donna? Um, absolutely. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> It's very, I mean, if you're on there, you will see all kinds, oh, yeah. all kinds. And what people are commenting on. And so somebody will say one thing and you'll respond and then someone else will just find out about it and get on there. And I love how the group educates the newbies. So anybody that's new that's coming on, the resources that you talked about, they're sharing information, like everybody holds hands together as they're, as they're moving through. So, so ladies, were y'all surprised? I mean, I mean, social media sensation. This page has just grown tremendously since it was first an idea, since it was first conceived. So were you all surprised that it has gotten the attention and the notoriety that it's gotten at, as of today? Like, was that, did that catch you off guard that it's that popular? Uh, yes. Yeah. And um, I've kind of gotten over the shock. It's going on for years. <laughs> Okay. And I, and the one thing I realized is that it's not going away. So personally, I've had to wrap my head around that because I was supposed to have retired, remember, five years ago. Remember that you made the comment. <laughs> so it, it's just been um, it's just been a tremendous um gift 
and but also a, a tremendous responsibility. And I feel that um, I feel because I was a teacher, I feel this um, need to help teachers and continue the mission to get them the training that I didn't get and hopefully that they will get um, mm -hmm. through colleges. I really feel that that's, that's our mission is that to continue uh, pursuing this legislatively, politically, um, socially, and trying to get, get that change to occur. And it's, yes. Yeah. So you think job. that's why it's, why it happened the way that it did, because there were other like-minded educators like you. I'm seeing lots of hearts and emojis that lots of amens are coming up on the screen where people were in that same boat and mm -hmm. not knowing where to go, where to turn, what to seek, how to do this, how to do it the right. But there's got to be, I'm missing something, but I don't know what I'm missing. I need to do something different, but I'm not sure what that is. Like, so, so you true. think that there were just, you, were, you got the right outlet at the right time mm -hmm. for the right conversation. And it all just kind of came together. But you agree, Jennifer, is that kind of what you're thinking too, that it just, it was a yeah. necessary time. Yeah, I think it just all came together. I mean, we talk a little bit about how the, the pandemic contributed, but one thing that's different now is that a lot of our parents have now seen how their kids are being taught to read, right? So this has created a lot of questions yeah. from the parenting communities. Um, and I think that's propelled things. Emily Hanford sold a story has propelled things. Um, and then just the um, this teacher community, right? The fact that we are talking and bringing people in. Um, has propelled uh, the growth. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we want, we want everybody here, right? We want Absolutely. everybody working everybody. together to figure out everybody. our answer. Yeah. And I know we're, we focus a lot on early reading skills and the importance of those five basic essential um, you know, elements of, of reading. But we still want to make sure that we can support older students as they you know, are mm -hmm. working through their, their, those elements for science of reading. So because I always say it's never too late doesn't matter what grades you teach. If you have students that are having difficulty because they didn't get what they needed in, in those earlier grades where those foundations were supposed to have been built, it's never too late to support our older students. So let's provide some guidance, ladies. How can teachers of older students use the science of reading in their classrooms to help close those gaps that have been exacerbated because of the pandemic or lack of coming into the pandemic and now it's an even an even wider gap what what can what advice can you all provide to those educators Jen you take the lead on this one <laughs> all right so <laughs> I'm preparing something for my own districts high schools teachers and middle school teachers and um what in our district I think we're not unlike many other districts across the country is that we've put a lot of resources into reading at the elementary level. And then as they hit middle school and high school, the resources become fewer and fewer. Um, and so we can never forget that our developing readers don't stop developing just because they get to middle school. They need continued work and support. Um, for solutions for this, I would say, um, first of all, our teachers in middle school and high school need a wide professional knowledge. We need to understand how to teach vocabulary, morphology. We need to understand how the meaningful units of our language interact so that children cannot just read the words on the page, but build their vocabulary to make it bigger, to expand it, to learn from what they read. Simultaneously, you know, when we're doing content learning in the elementary school, we spend a lot of time reading aloud to little kids. 
Well, what's to say we can't provide the similar accommodations for our older students, for example, and make sure they have access to text to um, speech, mm-hmm. right? Make sure they have access to speech to text. All of these things that are tools should be universally available to all of our kids so that they can access the same level of curriculum that everybody else is. In my district, we talk a lot about personalized learning. That is a chunk of our day is devoted to targeted instruction. Some of that instruction is face-to-face in a smaller group. And some of that instruction is using um, pathway software, right? That really is designed to meet the student's need. I think at the middle school and high school level, this is an opportunity to meet kids where they're at and buy them some time with practicing those skills that your your high school ELA teacher isn't going to be able to introduce in a timely manner. Um, But our students need these opportunities. Um, Right? Donna, do you have anything to add to that? No, I really, I think the uh, study of morphology is so critical um, for the older students, especially those who missed a lot of the phonics instruction early on. Um, you, a lot of times you have to take them back, uh, but if you can, if you could take them back to the phonics to get them through multi-syllable words, but if you can get them to understand the morphology of a word, you know, the bases the, the, and the affixes, that can open up a world to the kids right there um, and, and solve lots of problems that they're having. Um, it just takes care of itself, really. Absolutely. Because here's what's scary. You know, we all have known about summer learning loss, what happens to kids for those couple of months that they're not in school. And that happens just across the board from kindergarten through high school. But then there was this body of research about in the early grades from grades K through three, if a child had one year during those grades where something just went awry in their education, if something just was a, there was a mishap, either the curriculum didn't meet their needs or the teacher might not have had the skill. If there was just one year of that in K through three, then those children might take one to two years to recover from that. But if mm-hmm. it happened twice, any, any time between K through three, any two years, whether they were consecutive or at any point between K and three, those children might take two years, three years, four years mm-hmm. or more or never to recover. Mm-hmm. Then you get the pandemic that basically affected three consecutive school years for students. Like we're seeing data from this already that we're gonna continue to see. So when you think about that and we think about the pitfalls that we're going to have to avoid um, more and more in our schools and in our districts, what can we do looking to science of reading that's going to help mitigate the pandemic learning loss? How do we overcome this now? Well, so many schools think, um, you know, they hear science of reading, and we're just going to get this new curriculum, and it's going to take care of everything. It's going to be good. And I have to tell you, the, the news is it's not about just the curriculum. It's about your systems and your structures in your school. So if you are looking at your systems, you have to consider what is our, um, what is our MTSS system? What are our tiers? What are our interventions? What are our assessments? Looking at all those critically and putting those together to make them work together. Then you have to look at your structures. So what are our, what, what's the schedules looking like? Um, how long is our lunch? Um, is there an easier way to get kids to and from lunch in a more timely fashion? Th- those kind of things. Trying to make your structure of your building structure and your schedules be more um, 
less labor intensive and, and easier to use and more effective um, process. So it's the three S's, the science, the structures, and the systems. Jen? Uh, no, I, I agree. The three S's, you guys, without my, without my administrator being on board and my, my curriculum coordinator being on board and my superintendent supporting us in our professional development and in the way we do PLCs, the way we attend trainings, then there's no way to implement at the level we need to implement to see meaningful change, right? This isn't something you can just slap a Band-Aid on. You can't just put a, a patchwork program together. Um, it has to make sense all together as a system if we want it to work for our kids. So, um, And one more thing, um, this is not going to happen just at the teacher level. This has to happen at the administration level. So your administrators have to know what the science is. They have to know what the systems are. They have to know what the structures are. That That's a um, an administration issue. I mean, our administrators need to know what's going on to be effective leaders. Effect, you know, if they don't have that training, they can't possibly expect you as a teacher to do all the work. You have to look at, at them for guidance and, and helping you figure out how this whole system works together. It's a systemic problem. It's just not just, it's not just your classroom and, and it's not just your kids. You can't, you can't blame society. You can't blame the kids. You can't blame the parents. You can't blame the, um, the curriculum. It there's, it's just, there's so many issues that have to be considered. Um, and, and so when, you know, you asked that question at the beginning, um, what has to work, what has to change? Well, it, it's a huge problem. It's a, it's mm -hmm. so comprehensive that it just doesn't happen overnight. It, any, a school that's making change, you probably won't see, you know, the fruits of your labor, labor until three to five years in. Exactly. It's, it's a exactly. lot of work, a lot yeah. of work. And I'm going to do a check for our friends that have joined us today that were here yesterday. And Dr. Moat said that this science of reading, this this evolution of what we're trying to do is not a what? Who remembers what she said? She said this is not a somebody put it in chat. And to reiterate mm -hmm, what Donna yeah. said, you're talking about science, structures and systems. Yeah. Dr. Moat said herself yesterday, this is not a fad. And we need to remember mm -hmm. that as well. Getting some good some good nuggets today. Ladies, we also have a couple of um, attendee questions. Let's see if we can talk a couple of audience source questions. So Donna, this one is for you. There are our attendee writes. Hi, Donna. I'm a former teacher with young kids at home, just beginning their literacy journey. What's the best way for me as a parent and former educator to support their reading acquisition at school? Great question. It's a great question. And we get yeah. it a lot. We get it a lot. Uh, in fact, we get questions from parents. Uh, I have a three-year-old. I have a four-year-old. I want to teach them to start reading. And we were like, mm, put the brakes on it. We don't want to start too young. We want to do some other things to build that foundation. So Dr. Seiden, Mark Seidenberg did a presentation about a year ago. And it blew me away because he mentioned three things that need to be in place for kids to be able to be proficient readers. The first is language, just being talked to, uh, having conversations with your child, um, 
even if they're not speaking at the point, you are talking to them. So they hear good language there. It's being modeled for them and you, and you talk to them. So language. So those language skills are building vocabulary, building the understanding of the next thing, which is um, world knowledge, exposing your child to things around them, um, you know, taking trips and seeing places and that sort of thing. That's building all those experiential things that are happening will layer with the language. And the final thing is the foundation of sounds and letters and print. Those mm. are the things that have to be in place uh, for a child to become a proficient reader. And I just thought that was brilliant. So I just love his, his advice. That's good advice. Very good advice. And you're getting some more amens from, from our viewing audience. Um, Jennifer, we have a question for you. This one comes from an, an attendee in California. And the question reads, how do we convince our staff that science of reading is not just the latest trend that will be replaced in five to 10 years by something new? Mm. I know, right? I hear the word pendulum swing an awful lot uh -huh, on the Facebook uh -huh, page. You know? yeah. so, so here's the thing. This science has been around for five decades, okay? Yeah. Um, and Dr. Motz addressed this in, in the recording yesterday when she said that it's about implementation. If something doesn't get sustained over time, it's because there was something faulty with the implementation. It requires a lot of effort and a lot of work. But when you put in the three S's, right, the science, the systems, the structures, right, then um, it just becomes the way you do things. And then when your population changes in a given year, you have the tools you need to assess it and to address it, right? Um, I know in my district, I like to talk about my district an awful lot, but the, the fact is that we have good years and bad years as far as the data is concerned. But what we're doing, that is the science of reading is we're assessing everybody and we're teaching based on what they need. And then we're following up with progress monitoring to make sure they're making growth, right? So we can all be doing that. I would say that, um, I would say that we can, I think if we fall back to the way things we were doing before, it's because of our adult personal preferences and the way we were taught. But if we're going to be honest, then we're going to do things to meet the needs of the kids. And I think mm -hmm. then we, we have no choice but to continue to educate ourselves, to grow and to move forward. I love that. That's a great answer. So I'm watching our time and I hate our time is wrapping up. So let me ask this final question of the both of you and you all just kind of answer it. Well, thinking about everything that you're currently doing and you have your hands on with your Facebook group and all the things that, that that is working to do for everyone, just whoever joins this, this group and joins this conversation. What influences have had the most positive effect on your work individually? And then if you have time, what are your hopes for the future? What are y'all hoping to accomplish with this great work that you're doing? I'll get started. Um, so about 20 years ago, I started working for uh, volunteering for the Literacy Task Force of Northern Wisconsin. And we had these trainings every summer. And I had the honor and privilege of working with Dr. Marsha Henry because she lived in Wisconsin and she would come traveled down from Madeline Island. She lived on an island. She'd come down and she'd work with us. And it was such a, I, I thought I knew what I, I thought I knew a lot about explicit instruction. 
<laughs> but then when you when you get you know the matriarch of um <laughs> language basically um next to louisa motes i mean uh, dr henry is really well known and so um it was a pleasure working with her so that that was a, a pivotal moment for my career at that time um but currently um my hopes for the future are that the schools of education are going to pick this ball up and run with it um we have so many schools that are still not following the science and continue to um, give teachers um, training that is really insufficient for what they need when they, they walk into that classroom. Every teacher should know how kids learn to read. And, and I know that is not happening in the schools of education. I've experienced it and I know it continues. And so I hear that story a lot from teachers. So we know that is still a problem for our schools of education. And that that would be my hopes for the future that the title of our, our Facebook page lives on and, and, and that schools of education take that seriously because really they need to, they need to say, they need to admit that there's a problem here and what can we do about it as, as educators, you know, because we are responsible for the teachers we're producing. Absolutely, 100%. Jennifer, 60 seconds, what, give me, what's your- Oh my question? goodness. Okay, so Dr. Carol Tolman, she's a, a, an author and a, a wonderful presenter. And she came and trained our district in person um, way back in reading first and again in 2013. And I just wanted to be just like her <laughs> when I grew up. So we I, all. Yes. I think she's awesome. And then um, my, I had a principal, Jennifer Hersom. Her name was Jennifer Hersom. And she is also a psychiatrist, a psychologist. And she just broke things down for me and really helped me understand the science and how to read assessments and data. And uh, I just want to say, you administrators, you have a lot of power to change the world. So, um, so get to work. <laughs> this is important stuff. I love um, that. It's and in five years, I want us all to be speaking this language. I want us all across the country to be Absolutely. able to discuss mm -hmm. scientifically based uh, resources and to solve problems using the information. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. And as we transition back to our PowerPoint, just for some final reminders, again, I just want to say thank you so much, Donna, and thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time. And to our entire audience, these almost 2,000 people that joined us today, thank you so much. And we certainly hope you're going to join us again tomorrow at noon, same time, for Beyond the Brain, what neuroscience can teach us about equity. Ooh, ooh you know that's going to be good. So save the link that's going to be in the chat for tomorrow's session. We also want to invite you to stick around the rest of the week for our access to The Right to Read, the Jenny McKenzie film that fo focuses on an activist, a teacher, and two American families. So we're going to be giving you access to that from 20, the 24th of April through the 30th. So follow the link for that and use that special access code. Again, I'm Cassandra Wheeler, Senior Manager of Letter State Success at Lexia. It's been my pleasure to be your host. I hope to see you tomorrow. And again, thank you, Donna, and thank you, Jennifer, for your time today. Thanks so Thank much, you. everybody. Bye -bye. Thank you, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.